Uh, thank you to everyone who supports this show and all of the shows in the Major Spoilers Podcast Network. If you are not already, you can become a Major Spoilers member by signing up at patreon.com slash majorspoilers. The Major Spoilers Podcast covers news, reviews, and of course, spoilers, and goes into details about the topics discussed. So if you haven't read, listened, or watched the items we talk about, you might want to come back later. I'm Matthew. I'm Ashley. I'm Rodrigo. And I'm Steven, and you're listening to the Major Spoilers Podcast, the podcast for pop culture and comic fans. In this issue, it's a return to the streets of Astro City with the first family and Jack in the Box. Plus, there's rangers in the sewer, spies in our museums, and Klingons off the starboard bow. Scrape them off, Jim. Robotech gets remixed. We talk the news of the day and maybe our best Baby Yoda impersonation. All this and a bag of chips as we roll out the barrel, fill it with monkeys, and double wrap the produce. Because the Major Spoilers podcast is on the air. Welcome to issue 856 of the Major Spoilers Podcast. Yes, 856 episodes of doing this for you pretty much 50 weeks a year. Although this year, I think we're only going to hit like 49, 48 or 49, just because of holidays and stuff. But we're glad that you're here. We're going to be talking Astro City in a little bit. But Ashley is here this week. Hello, Ashley. Oh, hello. And Matthew is here this week. Hello. And then there's... I've been waiting for you. Then there is Rodrigo. Happy to be here. Happy to be here. In fact, let us talk about some news. Uh, we could talk about Baby Yoda, or as Disney is saying, you may know him as Baby Yoda, but he is the child. That's what they're calling him. We could talk about E.T., a holiday reunion, or maybe we will talk about comics serving the IP or the IP serving the comics. Let's spin that Wheel of Destiny. Let's see where this lands. Around and round and round it goes. Oh, man, the holiday season, shiny and bright. And sure enough, there it lands on E.T., a holiday reunion. Man, we're selling your nostalgia at affordable, everyday low prices. <laughs> what was that even a commercial for? I don't know what what is Xfinity. Is it, that a it, cellular service so, or an internet no, service? Xfinity, I don't know what Xfinity, Xfinity is. Xfinity is Comcast's um, cable and internet ah, service okay. and, right. and phone. So basically, uh, apocryphally, when mm-hmm. Comcast started having uh, that really terrible series of problems, they mm-hmm. rolled out the Xfinity platform, which is something else. But it's still Comcast. Ah. So in order to get people to buy into this Xfinity thing, they decided to license E.T. the Extraterrestrial, have E.T. come back to Earth years later. So this is like definitely a sequel to the movie. Mm -hmm. Elliot is all grown up and has kids. And man, he and E.T. just have fun talking about how times have changed. And we never saw this when we were when we the last time you were here, E.T., remember when you tried to phone home and we had to do all this dumb stuff? Man, now all we have to do is call our, our pick up our cell phone and we can call home just like that and look at all these other services that we get with Xfinity. And then E.T. is like, <laughs> oh, man, Elliot, I sure enjoy hanging out with you. But you know what? I got a family of my own, which doesn't make sense, because if I'm missing them, why did I come to see you in the first place? Anyway, I'll be right here. And na 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 the end. It's like five you know, minutes of this. That that whole point of I have my own family. Why would I even come back? <laughs> explains why you come to Topeka twice a month and never call me. <laughs> never ever call me. That's hurtful. Because you'll hurtful. try to feed me a nasty ass um, Reese's pieces and whatever that uh, uh, cupcake Reese's or whatever it was. Salad. 
Yeah, I'll whatever that was. Hide in a pile of toys and then make you levitate me across the moon. Oh, you know, actually, like I am. Do. I am so curious on your thoughts about ET, the extraterrestrial. I've never seen it, what? so I have no thoughts. Okay. All right. Well, here's a, right. here's the thing. Luckily, Xfinity has put this together for us, and now you can just watch this, and you don't need to watch the original. <laughs> the only thing that is missing is Peter Coyote. No, is it Peter Coyote? Was he the the jangly keys man? I'm pretty sure it was Peter Coyote chasing ET down. You just like saying Peter Coyote. I'm pretty sure that that's who that was. Uh, but yes, Say it this one more is time. Peter Coyote. Uh, <laughs> but basically, it is. Let's take all the best moments from ET the Extraterrestrial. Let's wrap them into a commercial, and let's see if we can get people nostalgic enough and teary-eyed enough that they want to buy our Xfinity system. There was no speak and spell. No, there because was, you now know, you can just get onto your tablet, and you can have uh, you can say, "Hey, tablet, how do you spell uh, homecoming?" It's really, it's really too bad that they, um, that they did Doctor Sleep because Xfinity could have done a rolled out a whole bunch of these. You know, they oh, could yeah. have had the original actor who plays Danny, <laughs> right. and then he goes back to the Overlook, and they're like, "Come play with us, Danny!" And then he whips out his tablet and says, "Actually, with Xfinity, you can download all sorts of games <laughs> onto any devices." And then it just shows him like playing with yeah. the twins and stuff. Yeah. Yeah. And watch, they could be, uh, the yeah, yeah. They could be, uh, roaming around on a big old grown up sized, uh, uh, bike, trike. Yeah. And, uh, be like, look, look at this great roaming that I'm getting as I'm going around the, the Overlook Hotel. They can, they can get John Lithgow to download a bunch of music and then Kevin Bacon walks in and he's like, what are you doing? He's <laughs> like, oh, not listening to fun rock and roll to dance to. And then like walk off. And then, you know, yep. uh, Danny could be like going into two, room 227 and it's like parental control engaged. Yeah. yeah. There you go. Ooh, what? Okay. What so, Ashley, so listen, listen, Ashley, don't feel bad about not seeing E.T. Um, and I'm sure you don't. But um, my oldest has not seen E.T., has zero interest in seeing mm -hmm. E.T. About two years ago, the youngest was like, Dad, you and I never do anything together. How come you and Mason have all these things and you and I don't have a thing? I'm like, how about we fix that by sitting down and watching E.T.? And at first he was kind of freaked out because there's some scary parts with E.T. and Elliot at the mm -hmm. beginning. Yeah. But then afterwards he was, uh, you know, starting to get a little sad when E.T. dies and then comes back. Spoilers. He doesn't die. Yeah. Uh, and then after the end, he was just like, well, that was an okay movie. And then about a day or two later, he's like, nah, that was an oak. That was a pretty good movie, dad. I kind of liked the E.T. movie. And now every once in a while, he will say, especially when my wife said they're making an E.T. sequel. I'm like, no, they're not making an E.T. sequel. It's a commercial. And then my son was like, dad, do you remember when we watched E.T. together? So, you know, at the very least, there were some some bonding moments. Cute. But I yeah. don't know. That if, is cute. I don't know if people today need to see E.T. the extraterrestrial. And as Rodrigo said. You could probably watch that commercial and get the gist of the movie. Yeah, there was a there was kind of an an explosion, uh, small explosion on on social media because Jimmy Kimmel asked uh, Billy Eilish, yeah, yeah, Eilish, um, if she knew who Van Halen was, and she doesn't. But when was the young. last time they were relevant? Yeah, yeah, it's like people don't talk about Van Halen very much. She honestly, if you drive anywhere in the United States and you put it on, you know, today's hits and yesterday's favorites station of your choice, you're going to hear jump at some point, you know, it's like, 
that but you're not necessarily going to recognize it as van halen it's like uh, these things you can't get mad at young people for not having seen right, it if exactly. a, you don't show them to them and b they're not really relevant this xfinity commercial weirdly made um et sort of more relevant again um but yeah it's like you don't need to have seen et you don't need to have seen the never ending story you don't need to have seen any movie that collectively or separately any of us loved or your parents loved or whatever i love you know bill and ted's excellent adventure but if you haven't seen it you're actually in the majority yeah actually you're in california do you ever go to the universal studios theme park i have never been there okay i don't know if i think the ride has been taken down i think it's been replaced by the hogwarts thing but i they used to have an et ride at universal for years um, even just as recently as like a decade ago. Um, and, but maybe it's not, but maybe it's not there anymore because it really fell out of the people's, you know, pop culture references. And especially when they changed the, are they holding guns? Or are they holding walkie talkies? And they flip flopped on that twice. I'm, I'm not really sure that this was an effective number one. Congratulations to, uh, DreamWorks or uh, Spielberg for raking in probably tens of millions of dollars to license E.T. for this one stupid commercial. But I'm not sure that this was a relevant use of nostalgia to try to sell mm. to try to sell a product. I don't know. Well, that that's the era we're living in, man. I mean, that's what I, Mandalorian is. Oh, yeah. I feel like most it, definitely. it wasn't Disney an blesses. attempt to sell a product so much as it was an attempt to sort of sow a, an expectation. Uh, I used to work in sales or near sales. And one of these guys who was this old coot who was just useless, but was really, 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 really a savant about how to sell things to people, used to say that you're not selling a product, you're selling good feelings. And I don't know what an Xfinity is, and I don't care what an Xfinity is, but when you say Xfinity, I'm going to think, oh, I really like that E.T. thing that they did, because Henry Thomas is like 40 now. Yeah, did you like it? I mean, I just thought it was okay. It didn't pull on any heartstrings for me. I enjoyed it, but then, you know, I feel like E.T. is one of those things that I can take or leave. Hmm. But I also understand that had it been, you know, Close Encounters, or had it been The Black Hole, or something that really touched me... I would definitely be the target audience. And I feel like the argument that nobody needs to see this because it's, you know, based on a 35 year old property, when we literally just had an argument that I should see this new Star Wars thing that I don't want to see because it's new and shiny and different, feels like it, it feels like kind of there's there's a disconnect there for me. Because, you know, it just because something is out of favor or, you know, old or no longer relevant to a kid today. Hey, we still let you be on this podcast anything. every week. I will always be younger <laughs> than you, sir. And I'm on this podcast because no, I speak well I mean, I think there's a difference. Word usements, what I, I think there is a difference between The Mandalorian, which is expanding upon the Star Wars universe and essentially remaking E.T. to sell a product. To sell a... I just think it's cute that everyone thinks the Mandalorian is like not just ripping off a bunch of westerns. Oh, that no, makes it, no, me laugh. No, like it's, good for John no, Favreau listen, for tricking Disney into letting him not this actually is have to come up with a plot or a structure. This is the brilliance of John Favreau. He comes in really nonchalantly and says, "Hey, uh, Marvel, you guys really don't care what anybody does with your stuff. How about giving me a crack and just let me run free with Iron Man?" And then bingo, bango, boingo. 
it's a billion dollar industry. Favreau did, I think, essentially the same thing with Mandalorian and is like, hey, uh, Filoni, who's over there at Star Wars Rebels, how about we take the ideas that you've had? How about if we try to talk Disney into making this a live action series? And Disney's like, yeah, I guess let's try it. I mean, it's going to be expensive, but it's Star Wars, so we know it's going to sell. And yeah, you're right. He does go in and take Lone Wolf and Cub. He does take the Ronin stories. He does take, uh, you know, a fistful of dollars and the and the Man with No Name saga. And he's really riffing on a lot of this stuff down to uh, the little uh, what is it called? The Herald uh, song uh, that you hear in Good, the Bad and the Ugly uh, is there in the Mandalorian. No, th- I mean, he really did a brilliant job of convincing people that Westerns uh, can be done make him think it's sci-fi and it's really just westerns and and grand ronin uh samurai movies from from japan but go ahead oh i I was gonna say i really hope that the the pitch to disney for the mandalorian was like favreau was like okay and then the mandalorian comes in and disney guys are like who is like he's like a boba fett so so the the Boba Fett comes in and then he finds this like strange alien child like well what kind of well he's a Yoda. So the Boba <laughs> Fett finds the Yoda and then they have a cowboy movie. And it's like all right yeah 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 all right all right I can see that. I do want to I do want to know what the pitch is on that thing but I uh, know it's um there is yeah you're right who said it earlier was it you Ashley about uh, that's what Disney Plus is is it selling nostalgia it's a nostalgia machine i mean disney plus might as well be called mandalorian plus because they have so little like dc universe so little actual oh yeah original content content, yeah on on launch so much of it is still tied up in previous deals so if you're not watching mandalorian or um high school musical high school musical the musical series to watch high school musical when it came out (laughs) if you're not watching that then you're like me and you're just re-watching the simpsons because it's comfort food like there's Mm -hmm. very little knew that they are doing and you know they've done incredible numbers because we want to live in the past like it is nostalgia porn through and through and i'm not saying that's a bad thing no 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 but the thing is you have to realize that while matthew watches the xfinity commercial and goes oh that made me feel something um i think part of being aware of how media is manipulating you is being aware that Companies are using nostalgia to pull on those heartstrings to sell you something. And if you don't realize you're being sold your $7.99 a month or whatever that Disney Plus is, or you realize that Xfinity is trying to get you to buy their service, or so the next time you see Xfinity, you're like, oh, warm feelings, I will go with this. Or if you're trying to figure out why Stranger Things is such a phenomenon, it's because they're pulling on your nostalgia. I talked about this a little bit in depth about three or four weeks ago on Finally Friday. Uh, when the Mandalorian first launched and talking about, hey, these are the things that you have to be aware of. Uh, Then I talked about vertical integration and how this uh, upcoming Department of Justice thing could bring vertical integration back into the studio system. I did. And so this week on Finally Friday, I'm going to talk about who benefits. I was going to talk about uh, Hitler, but instead, I think I'm going to talk about who benefits in this DOJ thing. And then the week after, I'll talk about Hitler. So uh, if you haven't, you want to check out Finally Friday that I do live Every Friday, 4 o'clock p.m. Central Time, twitch.tv slash major spoilers. Um, everybody's been enjoying the discussions, especially when they're like, oh, history. Oh, I see how this is relevant now. Uh, people are really enjoying those kinds of discussions. So we have that. I guess it's going to end up being a four-part series on the history of vertical integration and DOJ and how Disney, in its attempt to define itself as family nostalgia, 
has kind of worked itself into a corner where they don't know what they should do. And the answer is lying right at their feet. So that's going to be over there on uh, finally Friday, the next couple of Fridays, four o'clock PM central time, twitch.tv slash major spoiler. So many people already subscribed. What are you waiting for? And I'd like to know what everyone else thinks about this ET holiday reunion commercial special thing. Head over to Majorspoilers.com and post a link in the comment section. And while we are waiting for you to post those comments, we're going to talk about some comic books and do some reviews. Actually, let's talk about uh, Frozen 2 and uh, this new upcoming, what is it, a hardcover behind the scenes look at uh, Frozen? It's an amazing, amazing art book. Art books are something for movies that I didn't really get into until fairly recently. Uh, my mm-hmm. favorite one is still Into the Spider-Verse because oh, they man, have a picture. Oh, they have a picture that's a, like a background piece of art. And it's Jeff and Aaron when they're like 20 years old in front of the Brooklyn Bridge fronting like only young men try to do. It's my favorite thing. Um, and Disney and Pixar in particular make really, really beautiful ones. And. Frozen 2 is a really gorgeous movie, and it deals a lot with the dichotomy between uh, autumn and fall, which are two times of year that I find aesthetically very pleasing, even though I'm really, 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 really sick of the cold. And You mean winter and fall? Yeah. Well, yes. Did I say autumn and fall? Yes. Should have said autumn and winter. I've been awake for a very long time. <laughs> um, and the, one of the coolest things about the movie is uh, Anna's separation from Elsa. She's really defined as being very capable and very powerful on her own. Um, there's one whole entire person of color, which is very exciting. And the book really highlights, in my opinion, the best thing about Frozen. I enjoy, I guess, what is now the Frozen franchise. I don't think it's infallible. I don't think it's the best thing that Disney has ever made. But it is stunning stunning and if you're an animation or a design nerd this book is worth checking out if only to look at the background art like you Mm -hmm. can see the veins that they drew in the leaves that are falling and the individual highlights and sparkles that are on the snowflakes and that's something that uh, the older I've gotten and the more I've made my own things and I'm not I'm not an artist but I've really come to appreciate and I just think this book is so gorgeous it's coming out at such a perfect time it's coming out the same week that science is coming out in comic book stores so i can't wait for them to outsell us by the thousands <laughs> however you go buy frozen 2 and then you go buy science and we'll be in really good shape um it's so pretty and even if you're not planning to see the movie or you don't think you're into it i really encourage you uh to even just flip through it at the stand or Check it out online because sometimes it's easy to dismiss. Like, you know, I was very dismissive when I was talking about uh, the nostalgia machine earlier. And it is nice to be reminded that even amidst these big corporate machines that are churning out some piece of pop culture, there's real beauty and real artistry there. So I thought it was uh, stunning. I'm so glad to be sent it. And uh, I'll give it five out of five meatloaf slices. Very nice. That's The Art of the Frozen to the hardcover. It's being put out by Titan Publishing. Um, normally this would have been like a Hyperion book thing, but Disney kind of shut down Hyperion books. Huh. Wonder why. That's weird. Mm, you'd think they'd want to keep it open. But I will echo, Ashley, probably when I was your age, uh, I really got into the art of these animated movie books as well. And I would buy up like Pocahontas would come out or Notre Dame or the, um, Toy Story stuff mm-hmm. and just marvel at the concept sketches, the backgrounds, the early design work. These are really good looks at what goes into making an animated film. 
even though they don't walk you through the entire process, they're just like, here are the backgrounds and here are color schemes that we wanted to use on these things. Yeah. Um, just it's really cool to kind of get that idea of what just a, in this one. I don't know how many pages this is. It's a 1999 book. So it's not going to be that much. I think it's like 200 pages. Man, that's still just scratching the surface of that's oh, nothing. You're, yeah. you're, you're seeing maybe one percent of any of the art that was created for that movie. So, yeah, very, very exciting. Uh, out this week, Matthew Peterson is a new James Bond series. Seems like uh, Dynamite is really having a lot of fun with James Bond. So why not give us more Bond, especially with, I guess, a trailer is dropping today when people are listening, a new James Bond trailer. And I guess when is the new James <laughs> Bond movie next year? So James, James Bond, Bond movie with the Love Boat font? I don't know, but I'm distracted by that Love Boat font. James Bond all over the place. Tell us about James Bond number one. I will, as long as you never use my government name like that again. It woke me right up. I was like, ah. I felt like I was on trial. James Bond, number one, from Dynamite Entertainment, is written by Vita Ayala and Danny Lauren, art by Eric Gepster. And this is an interesting book because I'm going to let you in on a little secret. There's not much James Bond in here. It starts with a two- or three-page sequence of a very book-feeling, original Ian Fleming kind of uh, heavy-drinking, womanizing jerk James Bond escaping uh, from an explosion which may or may not have been caused by him sleeping with the wrong woman. That's the first two pages of the book. And then we cut to a museum in London, England, and most of the rest of the book takes place at this museum as we're trying to figure out an art fraud. And it's fascinating because there's a sequence where an investigator and her friend are going over the possibilities of how this particular piece of art could have been stolen and replicated. And wonderfully, as they're describing it, the artist actually draws out what he's saying. So he's like, well, you come in from the skylight in the cover of night. You hide your tools away later, pretend to be fixing the air conditioning. And they're just talking about this hypothetical situation. But we see it. And we see him talking, breaking the fourth wall, uh, metaphorically speaking, talking to her kind of like an episode of, you know, How I Met Your Mother, which I really enjoy. And throughout this whole film, I'm like, or throughout this whole book, rather, I'm like, this is interesting. This is cool. I'm really enjoying this. But where the hell is my James Bond? Well, isn't it focusing a lot on Money Penny? Isn't she like the main uh, focus in this issue? I don't think so. Oh, OK. All right. I don't think that Money Penny is in this unless uh, the main character whose name I don't actually know is Money Penny. I'm pretty sure she is. Are you sure? Uh, it looks like from that last page of the previews that we have on on the major spoiler site, I think that is the new Money Penny. Let me see. May not she be, but in. she an African American lady mm -hmm. with uh, big tall hair. Mm -hmm. Okay, that's the new Money Penny then. All right. Well, nonetheless, not knowing that it was the new Money Penny probably hurt me, but nonetheless. As we go through this, I really rather enjoy it. And then we get to the very end where she and her compatriot end up in a bar trying to track down a lead, get a gun pulled on them, and a big fight starts. And the fight is ended by James Bond, who, by the way, does not look like any of the movie Bonds, doesn't look like anybody other than just a spy guy which I really appreciate. It always bugs me when there's nine different ways that a character could look canonically and people pick one and it's not my favorite because people are like, Hey, I'm going to draw a doctor who I'm like, if you draw the 10th doctor whom I love, I will hit you. But that's neither here nor there. All in all though, 
I really enjoyed this book, surprisingly, because I'm not really, I don't consider myself a James Bond fan necessarily. I like some of the stories. I like the way one of them talks. That's kind of fun. But this is three slices of meatloaf for James Bond, number one. I feel like I want to see how this arc ends. At the very least, I might be on board for more ongoing James Bond based on the quality of what we got here. Yep. All right, cool. That is out this week from Dynamite Entertainment. Over at Boom Studios this week, we have the team-up crossover you've been waiting for your entire life as the mighty Morphin Power Rangers meet the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles in an all-new, I think, six-issue series. But wait, this is not the first time they've met, right, Matthew? Or is this? This is the first time that the Mighty Morphin Power Rangers ah, okay. have met the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. The Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles uh, live-action show in 96 or so crossed okay. over with uh, Power Rangers in space. Okay. So none of these characters were part of that cast. That makes a lot of sense, and I think for people who are not aware of that previous crossover, that previous meetup, mm -hmm. it will make a lot more sense than when you read this book because... When the Power Rangers and the Turtles meet together in New York, so there's some universe crossing going on, I think, uh, the Turtles know exactly who the Power Rangers are uh, to the point where Donatello is, like, asking all sorts of questions like, ah, how do your, you know, you know, basically, how do your morphing powers work and all these other things while they're fighting? But before that, the Ninja Turtles are fighting um, foot, foot soldiers and beating them up until one handsome devil shows up who's not wearing a mask and says, ninjas away. And they're like, who, who is that rugged looking uh, unmasked foot soldier over there? Let's call him Steve. And then we cut to, uh, we cut to sweet Valley high where the power Rangers are hanging out and everyone's like, Hey, anyone seen Tommy? Where's Tommy at? I don't know. Maybe Tommy will show up. Maybe we can track him down when he finally morphs. And so for whatever reason, Rita has convinced uh, the Green Ranger to work for her to steal some technology. And uh, apparently once that this technology has all been put into place, they will be able to control the Green Ranger because everybody wants to control the Green Ranger. But I think they've crossed universes. That's the that's the thing that appears to be happening is it's not, you know, Power Rangers universe and we're just driving across the country and we happen to be in New York where the where the Ninja, Ninja Turtles are. I think there's gen genuinely some universe hopping. Um, this is your basic first issue in one of these things. Let's have the Ninja Turtles do their thing. Let's have the Power Rangers doing their thing. Let's have them meet. Let's have them fight. And then we we uh, come to the to the cliffhanger of, oh, my gosh, who's going to win? Will they team up and become friends or will they become mortal enemies forever? Find out in issue number two on sale in 30 days. Mm -hmm. I had a lot of fun with this. I'm not a huge Power Rangers fan. I mean, this is the Power Rangers that I'm the most familiar with. Um, but uh, I'm not a big Power Rangers fan. Uh, I'm also not a huge Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles fan, although I would say I'm more of a TMNT fan than I am Power Rangers. Uh, but it was fun to read these two meeting together for the first time again. And I liked it. I thought the art was good. I thought the plotting was perfect for this kind of a series. Uh, I think that if you're fans of either one or both of these, you're going to love this. Uh, yes, it's predictable, but what Power Rangers or Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles cartoon show isn't predictable? Uh, and uh, I, I really found it fascinating. Four and a half slices of meatloaf for me. Power Rangers Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles number one out this week from Boom Studios. 
Which now brings us around to Rodrigo Lopez, who's looking ahead into the future like he always does, and pulling from a future grab bag of fun. Yeah, to keep other major spoilers writers from uh, ganking the stuff that I want to read. So, Robotech Remix number three uh, from Titan. Uh, I talked about Robotech Remix a little bit before. It's uh, if if you if you dig Robotech, the basic premise is: what if all seasons of Robotech were actually canonical and followed an actual continuity with each other? <laughs> like, what if what if you went back to the drawing board and could actually draw parallels and have characters from, say, the first season uh, appear in the second season for reals? Uh, so. That just straight up happens in this book. The The actual premise of the thing is um, one of the characters from the second season of Robotech, uh, the, the Southern Cross season, travels back in time and kind of starts accidentally mucking about and, and doesn't know how to get back to her own time. Things are already not happening the way that she expected and, and basically her... Um, appearance there is screwing things up. So this is a continuation of that. This issue is mostly action. Um, a new uh, kind of, uh, I forget what the bad guys call them, but basically a new Veritech fighter appears and uh, our heroes kind of gain control of it. And uh, through that adventure, find a mysterious personage that everybody believes to be one person, but might not be they might be a clone of that person i don't want to spoil it it's a big spoiler um the art is good it looks like you know all these characters look like the characters from robotech except for the new except for the new characters who do look slightly different i feel like if a character appeared in robotech they they have a very simple design and newer characters even the ones that are kids or whatever have like a slightly more complex design to them they'll have like scars or like more lines on their face or something whereas like the 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 actual uh the characters from the original set of series just have that like very flat kind of anime face um without much else that i I don't know i don't know if that observation holds up throughout but that's kind of how i feel the main event of this probably is the comic but for me is um anna who's a pop star literally referred to in this comic as this generation's Lin Min May. Take that as you will, um, depending on how you feel about Min May, um, where she comments on the ending of the actual comic. There's like a backup and she just kind of waxes poetic about it and in the process makes reference to a lot of other anime. Um, It's pretty cute and it's fun and... uh, I wasn't sold on this character, but uh, this does a lot more to to get me to like her. So I'm going to give it uh, three slices of meatloaf. Art is good. Story is good. I'm in this. It's good times. Um, I I feel like they have this very limited sandbox to work in, but they're doing a good job because now they can pull stuff. um, What I would love to see more of and maybe they have but i'm missing it is i don't see a lot of references to the next season and it seems which again was unrelated but this seems like a great 
opportunity to start seeding stuff from uh, Mospeda or whatever you pronounce that. Mm -hmm. uh, so yeah, three slices of meatloaf uh, for Robotech Remix number three. Awesome. Thank you very much for that, Rodrigo. And listeners, uh, as Rodrigo alerted, alluded to, you can head over to Majorspoilers.com and check out a bunch of other reviews showing up every day on the site, as well as news and preview pages. If you want to take a look at the James Bond number one or Mighty Morphin Power Rangers meets the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, we have previews of that. We also have podcasts over there. In fact, we even have a link to the Major Spoilers Patreon page where you can go. When you become a patron, you get access to a bunch of other stuff. For example, this week on the Major Spoilers pre-show, we were sitting around talking about some uh, Sandman uh, storylines, what worked and what didn't work there. We were sitting around talking about the Black Widow movie. We were also talking about my son's Christmas list. list. Oi, that's going to be uh, interesting. And then we uh, also talk about a little Black Friday incident that happened that, uh, I don't know, I'm still kind of freaked out about. But uh, you can catch that as part of the Major Spoilers pre-show and uh, puts a lot of the things that we're talking about in this show right here into perspective. I, I prefer to listen to them pre-show than this show. That's the way that I would listen to them. In fact, that's how we release them. Pre-show goes up around 10 o'clock p.m. on Tuesday, and then the uh, new episode goes up at uh, 12.01 a.m. on Wednesday. So there you go. You got that to look forward to. All it takes is five bucks a month to become a patron at patreon.com slash major spoilers. What are you waiting for? It is the holidays. It is the season of giving. Give yourself even more major spoilers content by signing up at patreon.com slash major spoilers today. Uh, oh, we're going to get into some trade paperback. I forgot we had a trade paperback to talk about this week. <laughs> We are diving once more. I kind of like doing this where we're looking at the same series and multiple volumes of a series throughout the year uh, because it, sometimes it's like, oh, boy, we got to check this out again. Or sometimes it's like, oh, OK, I guess we're going to check this out again. But this week we are venturing back into Astro City. With uh, volume three family album, the year that we go uh, all Jack Kirby on everyone. Right. <laughs> Am I not mistaken? This is all Jack Kirby uh, influenced stuff. Uh, I would I would say that Jack in the Box is probably more Ditko Spider Man. Mm. Yeah, yeah. But yeah, definitely there's Kirby influences in the uh, first, first family. family for yeah. sure. Um. Hmm. So this is a story about Astra, who is the youngest of the first family, and they are Fantastic Four. So just whenever you think Fantastic Four or First Family, they are the same thing here. There is a yeah, thing slash uh, challengers of the challengers of the unknown. Stuff. Sure. Yeah. Um, you slash the Incredibles. You certainly have a mix of every single one of those there. You have a thing character. You have a Johnny Storm character. You have a Mr. Fantastic character. You have a I guess a Jack Kirby guy, the, the guy with the cigar in his mouth, the grandpa guy, the challengers of the unknown guy just feels like that's, oh, a, that's a Julius Schwartz. Oh, Julius Schwartz. Actually. That's right. That's right. Uh, you just throw them all in here and they all have an adventure because Astra decides she wants to see what being a real girl is like. And so she goes and lives among the normals while the family freaks out and travels across space and time and uh, meet all of their famous and infamous uh, villains while they're trying to find where is my daughter? <laughs> you like this, Matthew? Did you like this, uh, that, that storyline? I do. Uh, the Astra storyline isn't actually one of my favorites, but it's got. I think a level of realism to it that even other Astro city books don't because first of all, it shows how cruel kids can be. Yeah, sure. Uh, and you can, you have that moment where you're just like, man, see some of these kids are jerks. And I really kind of enjoyed that. I also feel like this is the point where 
the first volume of Astro City that we previously reviewed is was a it was a six issue limited series. Mm-hmm. This is the point where the book became a regular ongoing for a couple of years, and I like the way that story played uh, in the ongoing level of events. So you start with issue one here, actually that first issue with the family moving to oh Astro my gosh, City. That is my favorite story of all the Astro City stories. That one is my favorite. Yeah. And that's the, that's the issue one of the second volume. And it's a perfect opening issue for what you're going to see in Astro City. That's the thing that's really great about this book. But transitioning from that immediately from, you know, normal people in a superhero situation to superheroes in a normal people situation, that's such a great transition to me. I really enjoy that. And I, I have to say, I love the first family with one notable exception. There's one thing about the first family that I cannot stand, and that, of course, is the fact that Augustus has the face of Russell Johnson. That bugs me. But other than that, I think the first family is such a perfect, fantastic four slash proto pulp take on really half a dozen different characters. There's Fantastic Four in there. Rodrigo said Challengers of the Unknown. There's bits and pieces of a whole bunch of different things. There's some Doc Savage in there if you look yeah. for it. And I really appreciate all of that. I feel like the Astro story is a really solid one. Even if it's not my favorite Astro City, it's above average. It's better than many of the comics out there in the universe. Yeah. Actually, I kind of dig the family storyline, the Astro storyline, because here is someone who hinted at very strongly in the book the most powerful character or potentially the most powerful character in Astro yeah, City like, that we've missed, like missed before. Yeah. But she's able to keep her powers under control and remain a human and just, you know, not cheat and use her powers to uh, to win at Hopscotch. Yes, she's really cute. I liked this a lot. Um, it's funny because I read volume two right before this, mm-hmm. uh, which is another homage to a very uh, famous comic book set. And this is a much sweeter and like kinder story Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. than the confessor storyline and astra is just so very likable and when they pit her against a really mean little girl you kind of think that that's going to be her downfall because we see her doing all of these amazing superhero things before that and it's really lovely to see that no she's just going to work as hard as she can and that's enough. I think that's like so, so precious. Yeah, no, I think there's a really good message there, Rodrigo. And I think that uh, when you're going into, you know, bright and sunny, which, you know, the confessor and the um, altar boy. Yeah, the altar boy. But what's the shadow hill? Is that is that the location yeah. mm-hmm. when you get into those yeah. spooky, dark characters to suddenly flip around? And literally because of that first story starts in a very dark place where what is this crazy place that we're living in? And then goes right into this bright, shiny day after when everything is normal again. And then you get into this bright, shiny, over-the-top tale of the of the first family. I think you kind of have to make sure that there is some good lessons to be to be told in that. Uh, yeah. What what is consistently amazing to me is that Astro City always feels fully realized. Mm-hmm. Um from just the fact that there are clearly, you know, sort of quote unquote, like decades of story, what feels like decades of comics, 
before you know the the actual story of Astro City starts before the actual issues that we see, um, and uh, and also the fact that um, going in, uh, you know, they ask what what would life be like for people on the street? What would life be like for superheroes? What is a good human story to tell with these superhuman characters? What's a crazy story to tell with human characters? All of these people exist in the same world. What happens after supervillains destroy a city? And here you get to see it, and it's actually really uplifting and really mm-hmm. nice. It's a good it's it's a nice story, and Astro City has plenty of scary stories or s- stories that end in a down note, um, and that's fine too. Uh, but a lot of the stories in this one, even uh, what's his name, like the Junk Man's story, yes, yes. ends in an up note for him, sort of like yeah. he, he gets what he wants. Um, just it's not what we would have expect that he wants. Right. I really enjoyed the Junk Man story as well uh, in this. I can't say so much about the Jack in the Box story. Not, yeah, not the a Jack fan. Jack in the Box story gets really weird. And I get what they were going for with the Jack in the Box story. And I do appreciate the fact that it makes me feel like I'm invested in a changing of the guard of a character that we literally first met two issues earlier. Yeah. It feels like we're being slipped into this universe 30 years in and having these big moments come around. It's the equivalent of if Spider-Man's black costume was brought in as a big deal, five issues into Amazing Fantasy. And it works. They pull it off. But yeah, I'm not entirely sure that. It... So here's 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 why I like this. Uh, I like the Jack in the Box story because this is. Uh, a 1995 story, yeah. right? <laughs> like from a design, definitely from a design aesthetic um, and, and from a story perspective. It's like, it's Days of Future Past. It's, uh, which I know came out before 95, but it hugely impacted comics in the 90s, right? Um, it, in the grand scheme of things, you know, the age of apocalypse happened three minutes after days of future past. It like kind of skewed the X-Men to always be doing that sort of thing. And if you look at the design for, uh, Jackson, Jackson, um, you know, he's very saber tooth, very Wolverine, very 1990s guy with like really long fingery claws. Um, same thing with the box. He's got that kind of, uh, what I want to say, like, uh, Death's yeah, death's head or yeah, death's head kind of thing. Yep, yep. So, um, this is I feel in a lot of ways a commentary on the comics that were coming out Mm. when Astro City was coming out. I can see that if that's a commentary, but I just I don't know, Ashley. I was kind of turned off by this story. I just I'll be honest. I didn't I didn't read the last issue of this arc because I was just like, oh, I hate this so much. Done. Yeah, that's kind of how I was. Did did you like it, Ashley? Yeah, I liked it. Um, I don't think it was as strong maybe as previous volumes, but I didn't have any real issues with it. Okay. Is there some... Convince me that that was a good story. Ashley and I both started reading comics in the 90s. Oh, yeah, I'm sure. Sure. I'm sure. And here's the weird thing. Um, When... And I'm not... When I read this, these stories originally, 
Mm-hmm. Um, I remember reading the Confessor storyline and going, okay, this is this is good. This is interesting. I like it. Uh, I think that's where I started. I didn't start in the very first arc with the alien invasion. But then I hit the day in the life story and I was like, holy cow, if this is what this series is going to be, I am all in. I remember mm-hmm. that uh, going in when I was living in Atlanta when this series came out. And then I hit the first family story. And I was like, yeah, this is pretty good. I can still get behind this. And then I think it's because the Jack in the Box story that really kind of defines him as the hero that everyone thinks is the bad guy was yeah. in that very first arc, you know, the alien invasion story. Yeah. When I got right into the Jack in the Box story, I was like, I don't know who this guy is. I don't like this guy. I don't, you know, I don't care anything about this. I I drifted away from this series at this point, at the end of the, and I don't think I even got into the Junkman story when it came out. Uh, so my first introduction to Astro City was, you know, very brief, very fiery because of how good the uh, the the Day in the Life story was. Uh, And then this uh, first family story was that it was, you know, it kind of, I don't know, it it was dark. I I think the Jack in the Box story is dark, and I think it's not as uplifting as the other stories are. I don't know. That's just me. Rodrigo, can you convince me otherwise? No, I mean, if you don't like it, you don't like it. Yeah. Um, Yeah. I'm always willing to listen to other arguments about, oh, no, here's why you don't under, you know, I don't want people to say, oh, you're too stupid to understand this. But, oh, no, have you thought about this? No, uh, but it's I'll be, a, it's I'm a willing sensi- to listen to that. It's a it's a sensibilities thing. Like I look at this story and it just tickles me pink because it's so 90s. You know, mm-hmm. it's just this is this is what is great and this is what is dumb about these comics. Like mm-hmm. the like if you look at Jack in the Box's design, it it is meant to be evocative of like a Ditko Spider Man. Mm-hmm. It's starting to get complex but it's not too bad, right? The face is clean. He doesn't have a big clown nose. He has the like the rum rhombuses on his chest. And that's kind of it. Um and like the big buttons. Mm-hmm. But when you look at the design of the other guys, they're so over the top. They're taking that design and turning it into say a Carnage mm-hmm. or mm-hmm. a uh Spider-Man 2099. You know, taking that original design and just cranking the detail to a point where you can't fit any more stuff like one of the guys has an actual smaller jack-in-the-box that comes out of his shoulder and stabs Mm -hmm. people right and that to me again feels like aren't these guys stupid and that's that's the that's the glorious thing about astro city is that astro city can look at early fantastic four and say hey weren't those like fat robot lizard monsters that they fought really stupid looking Mm -hmm. but also weren't they awesome and it takes i I don't know an incredible amount of i think joy for the medium for then uh to then turn around and see all the stuff that was happening at the time which a lot of people didn't like and especially a lot of old school writers didn't like uh, and be like isn't this also awesome and stupid but in a very different way Mm mm-hmm do you guys, uh, anybody here listen to the Letters Page podcast? It's from the creators of the Sentinels of the Multiverse uh, game. Any, anybody listen mm-hmm. to that? Yeah. So one of the things that they do is they create an elaborate backstory for all of the characters in this game. And what they've been doing right. lately, now that they've done the history of these characters, they're going back and saying, okay, we're going to build live in the recording of the show. I don't know how much editing is done, 
but we're going to build an issue. We're just going to here's issue 527 of, you know, the 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 Guardian or whoever. And we're going to tell his story. And this is the adventure. And they write it out from beginning to end. Uh, one of you mentioned earlier that these characters always feel fully realized. I think that was you, Rodrigo, that said that. Mm-hmm. Uh, I wonder, and Matthew, because you um, have spent some time talking with Kurt Busiek uh, over the years, is this something that he had a big, you know, trunk of stories of, oh, man, here's this great idea. And I'm going to create this character, you know, called, uh, you know, uh, Jack in the Box. And so he's going to be based on this. And he's da 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 da. Yeah, the Silver Agent stuff. Had he already kind of fully realized these characters before he started writing Astro City or was this kind of a seat of the pants? I'm making this up as I go kind of stuff. Well, I don't think that uh, most of them, there are a couple I know that uh, have been referenced as this is a character I created when I was a kid or specifically uh, this is a character Alex created, Alex Ross, when he was a kid. But I think... What you're seeing actually isn't so much because if you look at things like um, the Looney Leo story, the gentleman yes. uh-huh. is definitely a take on a Captain Marvel genre, but it's not just Captain Marvel. It's got a little bit of maybe a Captain Triumph in there. It's got some things that maybe are a little close to Looney Leo itself. I'm not going to spoil it because they don't tell that story for another 20 years, but there are archetypes that you see repeating in comics and i feel like this is hey if we have this superman archetype or this fantastic four adventuring family or this uh wild and crazy wacky kicking guy who does the quips like your blue beetles or your spider-man what can we do with that that you haven't seen before so i feel like in and he said a couple of times that the character comes after the idea for the story ah, okay how do i tell this story that's never been told before and yeah so he doesn't he doesn't have a character he doesn't have a filing card system somewhere that had been sitting around you know that he writes stuff on and off for a couple of years and then you know 10 years later he's like ah astro city i can finally sell it let me tell all of my character stories so he doesn't have anything <laughs> like that which is um yeah, also you know both kind of a good thing and kind of eh, maybe a little sad but yeah that's that's really okay so everybody has a bunch of superheroes that they've made up right and they're in the back of your head somewhere and they interact with each other and they fight and stuff and they're awesome yes and, they go, and my character's after- my character's name is uh the flying sparrow secretly right. by day her name is ashley v mm. sparrowson <laughs> no, she's not a sparrow. She's a chicken. Anyway, what are you saying, Rodrigo? Go ahead. You've never, you've never seen uh, Ashley and uh, the sparrow in the same place at exactly. the same time. Exactly. That's, that's not relevant. What What is important is that, um, as like I've read a lot. You know me. I usually go for more indie stuff for the show, and try to avoid the big two. And so I've come across a lot of uh, stories that are, here are everybody's stable. Like, here's this person's stable of superheroes. Clearly, they, they know them very well. They've known them since they were children. And finally, they have the drawing ability to get this out or finally manage to convince an artist to, to go in with them. And a lot of the times, it feels very, uh, I don't know, kind of, I don't want to say like self-congratulatory, but it feels it feels like stuff has already been happening in their heads, but they're not showing it to us because they're past it. And Astro City 
never feels that way. Astro City never feels like this is my awesome OC do not steal kind of character. <laughs> um, it always feels like it serves the story first. And uh, these characters, which are cool and which are sort of um, calls to, to previous characters and to Marvel characters and DC characters, always feel like they're serving a purpose within the story even if it's just to be part of a big mob scene that's fighting a cloud um these characters are all all seem to be there for a reason and Mm -hmm. they don't they never get pulled out and said look at how awesome this character is in fact most of the time when you when a character gets centered on it's here are these characters problems you know Mm -hmm. and how they're dealing with them it's like um you know when we follow alter boy it's about him trying to make it when we follow uh, Samaritan is about him being overworked, essentially. When we follow Leo is about him actually having a terrible life. Um, so it always feels like actually these characters are real people with real problems, even if some of the real problems are that they live in a ghost mountain. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, and that that always feels really good about it. Um, and it never feels like, here's my cool character. Watch them do backflips. Mm-hmm. Uh, one disappointment that I had in this, usually I'm a, I'm a fan of Alex Ross art, um, and he does a good job of trying to only use the likeness of a person maybe once, right? And then after it's kind of been used, he tends to not do it again or tries not to. I was pretty disappointed that the Samaritan in this is Fred McMurray, a.k.a. Shazam from Kingdom the Come. Gentleman. Yeah, the or the gentleman. Sorry. Yeah, yeah. That is that's straight up Fred McMurray. A- A.K.A. Shazam from from Kingdom Come. Well, Captain Marvel Shazam was actually physically based on Fred McMurray. No, no, true. In but 30s. in Kingdom, and I don't remember which came first, this volume or Kingdom Come. But I was kind of disappointed to see that you know he basically to, recycled. To see him reuse a reference. yeah recycled a, a reference. Alex Ross recycles references all the time. It is one of the reasons why I cannot stand his Superman art. Um, Alex Ross uses the same people over and over and over and the same actors over and over and over. So I definitely see it. Uh, I can see where it would be frustrating, but yeah, it's something that that actually shows up in Alex's work an awful lot. Um, I don't know if the, if the gentleman, uh, is actually an Alex Ross creation or a Brent, uh, Anderson creation. Well, that's who's created as the artist in the series, but visually he's. He is uh, Shazam from Kingdom Come, a.k.a. Brent Fred does the interiors. Alex yeah. only does the covers. Yeah. Uh, bottom line for me is the opening story and the closing story are fantastic. The first family is really good. Um, I could pass on the Jack in the Box story. Uh, so bottom line is this is worth picking up. Um, better if you can get it used, but if you have to buy it new, it's not, it's not going to be a bad thing for you. Ashley, give us your final thoughts on Astro City Family Album, Volume 3. Yeah, I think Family Album is not as good as the two volumes that precede it. However, I do really, really enjoy it. I thought it was really interesting. I think if you're familiar with Doctor Strange, Doctor Strange, um, I'm multitasking. I think if you're familiar with the Fantastic Four, (laughs) then you'll probably get a lot more out of it than somebody who is perhaps uh, less familiar but if you're in on Astro City, definitely check it out. Yeah. Matthew, final thoughts from you? Uh, never avoid Astro City. Always read all Astro City. And 
because of the way Astro City gets collected, you don't actually, well, there's no reason to collect things uh, in chronological order the way that they were printed because the stories aren't actually done like that. So the two Jack in the Box stories were printed back to back. The two Astro stories were printed back to back. And then once they're collected, they gather, oh, here's this and this and this, and this kind of has a theme, and that's what Family Album is. I agree, it's not one of the strongest Astro City trades, but bad Astro City is something that doesn't exist. And even the worst Astro City is worth a look and definitely worth taking out. So I would say go rush right out into Buying Frenzy now. You heard me. Rodrigo, what are Go. your final thoughts on this book, please? Uh, I, I I enjoyed it a lot. I agree that as a volume, it's not as cohesive, even with the vague theme of family. A uh, couple of the stories break that. They, it do, they don't actually really fit the theme, except in the very loosest of senses. Um, so, you know, I, I, yes, the... Uh, the ones where we actually follow a character for six issues, much more cohesive. But there's a lot to like here, a lot. Like, even if you don't like one or two of the stories, you're very likely to like one of the other ones. I, I would say definitely pick this up, especially if you've already been picking up the other volumes. Astro City is pretty much always worth reading. All yep. right, there you go. That wraps it up for this issue. Thank you for listening to the Major Spoilers podcast. And thank you for being part of the Major Spoilers experience. As always, we love to hear your feedback, so use the comment section at Major Spoilers to share your thoughts and reactions to this episode. Or even better, send us an email to podcast at Majorspoilers.com. And don't forget, you can support this show and everything we do by becoming a patron at patreon.com slash Majorspoilers. We will be back next week because we know that you love comics and we do too, and we will talk with you soon. Stop talking about comic books or I'll kill you. I don't care if the Hulk could defeat the Man of Steel. I'm gonna rearrange your face if you continue to debate whether Logan's claws could pierce Steve Rogers' shield. I just couldn't care less if they bring back Craven. podcast is copyright 2019 by major spoilers entertainment llc